Uh, yeah, we like through the website. Uh, we got Amazon and uh, LegalZoom. Great. So if anyone checks it out. For the most entertaining talk anywhere, stay tuned to LA Talk Radio. Your real talk station. Your real 24 talk hours of commercial-free programming. The Green Room is brought to you today by Amazon. Check out SeanTGreen.com for the link to Amazon's amazingly easy online shopping. And now, live from Sherman Oaks, California, the host of The Green Room, Sean Green! Alright everyone, welcome to The Green Room. We're doing it live here on LA Talk Radio. Feel free to give us a call, 323-203-0815. I'm here in the studio with my left-hand man, Logan Lysico. Logan? Thanks for coming on to the program. No problem. And, of course, we have a uh, very special guest coming uh, to join us here. You know him from K-Rock's Kevin and Bean, from his voices on The Family Guy, and the host of uh, Joe Schmo, Season 1 and 2, Ralph Garman. Ralph, thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> liked your opening song there. That was sweet. Well, that's uh, that's a rapper by the name of Wax that we're uh, friends yeah. with. Yeah. You know, Three whitest guy in the ro- <laughs> whitest guys in the world sitting here in a room. But that's our, our opening song. I love yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> it gives us uh, it gives us a surprising amount of street cred. We a little have, street cred here in S Oaks, yo. You know it. We got Logan hanging out in Cactuflage. Uh, me and Ralph, a couple, <laughs> couple guys from Philly who are probably the least uh, least thing close to hip hop. But uh, you know, it's what the kids are listening to oh, these the days. Kids. It's all about the kids. Oh, I love the kids. Well, uh, first off, thanks for coming in, man. My really, pleasure. Really appreciate you being on the show, especially with the uh, Phillies on. I know you're a big Phillies fan. I know two guys from PA here sitting here talking to each other. We could be watching baseball yeah, right I know. now with a cold uh, yingling in our hands. But no, instead we're here in a... It's goddamn show business. It's, it's a cruel, show business. It's a cruel mistress, Ralph. <laughs> oh, you know how brutal. that is. It's hard. It's a full-time job being us, Sean. It is. It is. Um, <laughs> well, uh, yeah, where to start? I'm, uh, I'm wearing my... Um, Wearing my Reggie White shirt. I know you're a diehard Eagles fan. I am. So much to the point that uh, on K-Rock, Kevin and Bean, they've actually banned you from talking about the Eagles. Well, it's not them. Right. At the end of last season, we had a listener call in who was a uh, Cardinals fan. This is before, the uh, obviously, the NFC, NFC right. uh, Championship game. And he made a wager with me because I, I do talk about the Philadelphia Eagles on my show ad nauseum until right. people, people are just bleeding out of their ears. Because I figure L.A. doesn't have a football team. So I'm respectful. I don't talk about the Flyers. I don't talk about the Phillies, you know. But there's no LA. There's no LA football, football team, team to have to something fills the needs side the with. Board. So I figure I can feel free to uh, spout off. So this guy made a wager with me that if the Cardinals beat the Eagles in that championship game, I was banned from talking about my team for a year, for a calendar year, and it has been brutal since the beginning of the season for me not to talk about. Well, what's you're, been going on. at least you didn't welch on the bet. I appreciate that. But what a game when they lost that. It, Oh man, that was that was really. I did not expect that freaking Cardinals. I didn't. I did not see. That. <laughs> no, they were nine and seven. I, I mean, know. they were getting they were getting destroyed in the regular season. The last thing you thought they were going to do is go on this amazing hot streak. I thought, all right, we beat the Giants in Giants Stadium. Okay, it's smooth sailing here on out. Straight to the Super Bowl. That's what I thought too. But no, Kurt Giants. Warner. Goddamn Kurt Warner, the miracle man. I don't know how he's still in the NFL at his age. He's still throwing touchdown passes. It's 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 pretty. It's 
surprising. So the only reason I'm really doing this show is so that I can talk about the Eagles on radio. Well, so yeah. Well, that's uh, that's the way that's the that's the way I baited you into doing the program. What's your PA boy from uh, Bethlehem, right? Isn't that your Bethlehem? Yeah. Yes. Right near Dorney Park, isn't it? You got it, Allentown, man. Allentown, PA, up there. Yeah. That's uh that's used to be our hangout. That's used to be you know 13 years old. You're trying to cop a feel. You take the chick to Dorney, <laughs> Dorney Park. Park. Cheesiest amusement park on the <laughs> yes. planet. I oh, you're there. saying Steel Force is cheesy, Ralph? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I am. I had a uh, family up there for many years in Allentown and McCungie, PA, and Bethlehem, so I used to spend uh, quite a bit of time. Steel country. Steel yeah, country. basically, you know, the, the whole town was built out of the steel industry from Bethlehem Steel. Essentially, everyone, you know, worked for Bethlehem Steel or an industry related to the steel. The steel went away, and somehow the, the town was still able to survive. Well, because Dorney Park has such yeah, a big Dor- draw. That's why <laughs> people are showing up. Stopping by on the way up to Hershey. Well, you're you're, for, you're totally overlooking the draw that Wildwater Kingdom has. That's true. And uh, it's pretty amazing. Yes, yes. So now, as being an Eagles fan, being a transplant out here in L.A., give us, what's your Sunday? I mean, because obviously not every game is broadcast out here. What's your, how do you watch the game? Where do you go? Do you go to a bar? Do you get the direct TV? I've been out in L.A. for years. And when I first came out here, it was during the uh, legendary like uh, Rich Cotite, Ray Rhodes era. Oh, okay. You know, when we had coaches who had uh, half a brain, <laughs> literally. Like, dude had brain cancer, and part of his brain was taken out. Wow. Yeah, that's the guy we hired to coach a football team. I mean, I know you don't have to be a genius to run a football team, but it helps if you have both L- lobotomy, lobotomy doesn't look good yes. on the coaching resume. So it was brutal, but there was a bar in Santa Monica, California called The Shack. And yeah, I've been there a couple times. The folks that run that, own and run that place are from Philly. They're transplanted Philadelphians. And when I used to go there, a buddy of mine who lived in Santa Monica said, dude, there's a guy who owns a bar, lives in Philly, and he'll put the Eagles on absolutely. He'll guarantee us one screen every Sunday. So we used to huddle around one screen, and there was about a half a dozen of us, and that's when we started watching it. Then as the Eagles got better and better and better, and the bandwagon got more and more full, this bar exploded. And now if you go there on a Sunday, it every screen is the Eagles game, and it's just filled with expatriated uh, Philadelphians and stuff. So we have a great time. That's usually where I watch the game every Sunday. That's where you go? Yeah. Yeah, we, I actually, uh, me and my buddies, I have a couple other uh, buddies that we're sharing a place with, we got the, we got the satellite package, and we got it set up, you know, it's like a, it's like a low rent, uh, you know, sports bar, we got a couple TVs going at the same time, and uh, it's, it's good in one way, but then it's also bad because my roommate is a Giants fan. Oh, no. So, yeah. (laughs) How can you live with a guy who's a Giants fan? I don't know. I don't know how I do it. He's typical Guido, like diehard Yankees, (laughs) die, you know, Italian guy, diehard New York Giants, and it really is aggravating. He's actually, but he, you know, he's a good guy. He's actually took me to. I went to two Giants Eagles games in Giants Stadium. The first one was uh, when the Eagles, the Eagles. It was a few years back. The Eagles beat him in Giants Stadium. I was having the time of my life, rocking my uh, Brian Dawkins jersey. There was actually three really cute chicks in front of me that were also Philadelphia Eagles fans. So I kept hugging them during the game, and it, it was <laughs> it was the, essentially the time of my life. Cut to the next year, I go out for the game expecting a similar type of experience. No, the Eagles' Winston Justice sets a record for letting <laughs> letting up sacks in one game. I remember that game, They yes. get destroyed. <laughs> and then just the walk of shame you have from leaving Giants Stadium wearing an Eagles jersey after they've lost. Oh, can't imagine. Yeah. I would was, have brought a second. I would have brought a change of clothing. I yeah, it was, in the restroom. it was brutal. My buddy's dad was uh, with us also, and they, they, he was wearing a Giants jersey or something. They're like... They thought uh, he was uh, my dad, and they're like, "What kind of son do you raise that let him be an Eagles fan?" Like they were trying to fight me, and uh, 
It was just pretty awful. I'm surprised you didn't get jumped in the parking lot after the win, because usually they're in much worse moods when right, they lose. Right, they were... They, uh, Giants fans aren't quite as bad as Eagles fans. Like, Giants fans... I, f- I feel like the Jets fans are pretty bad. Giants fans, they make a little bit more money. I feel like they're more maybe the, the <laughs> upper echelon of the, of the New York scene, you know, more stockbroker type. It's a little less crazy than I think the Jets or the Eagles fans... You know, Eagles fans being notoriously just evil, hateful yeah, people. Br- a brutal, brutal bunch. <laughs> now, what do you think about the Eagles signing uh, Michael Vick? That was a big story in the offseason. Continues to be. They they keep they keep bringing it up when really he's you know he has like a couple of plays here and there, but he's not he's not a central part of their offense or no. their team. But they keep. And I knew he wouldn't be. And uh, I thought this way even before the Eagles signed him that the guy did his time. It was a heinous crime, but uh, you know. Right. It seemed like he he was sufficiently, in my eyes, apologetic for what he had done. He had done his time. So why not let the guy earn a living if someone was willing to pick him up? That was my take beforehand. When the Eagles picked him up, I said, this is a great move for them because if he can prove for a season that he's not an insane dog murderer anymore, exactly. then he'll be great trade bait or we can make a deal for him. We've got to, you know, we can... Uh, we yeah, can... they got him on the cheap. They exactly. didn't pay a lot of money for him. Yes, he's an asshole, but the NFL is filled with assholes. That's, yeah. Being a good person isn't the reason you get to be in the NFL. No. If that was in the if that was the reason, Ralph and I would be playing linebacker for the Eagles. <laughs> That's right, and being beaten horribly. Yeah, exactly. It's and I always hated the role model thing too, where people say, "Well, <laughs> you shouldn't be a role model for kids." If if listen, if you're a parent and you're letting the NFL players be your kids' role models, you have bigger troubles. So at you've home. you've already lost them. That's right. Yeah. And you know he pay, he lost 120 million dollars. He did 18 months in jail. You know I don't know how many dogs were killed, but you're looking at two three million dollars a dog. It seems like punishment enough. Yeah. Yeah. Granted, he's not a nice guy. He's not a great person. But still, like, what is it by by barring him completely from football? What does that accomplish? It it's, doesn't accomplish. You're anything. not bringing those dogs back. And I think he can be he can serve a better purpose as if you want to use the role model thing as an example of what not to do. I think uh, even you know there are certain um, dog rights and animal rights groups that say you know we can use this guy in his public persona right that's what he's he's turned into is just a guy Make that him goes the poster around boy for don't do this yeah know? exactly so i thought it was a, it was a good move on their part and hopefully they'll be able to trade him and uh, you know get something even better for yeah him. i know and you look at him play now when he drops back he's not a drop back passer anymore or you know maybe well, who knows they won't let him throw the ball they're bringing yeah, him exactly. just to hand off <laughs> Yeah, shit, not, shit, I could do that. I yeah. could go out there in number seven and, and hand the ball to uh, Shady McCoy or Brian Westbrook. Yeah. Give me the money. I'll do it. I won't even hurt any dogs either. Yeah, exactly. I've a dog in my life. That's what the people are like, you know, all upset. He's not fighting your dog. He doesn't want to fight your dog. Your dog will get destroyed. He wants to fight champions. <laughs> That's what he's looking for. So now you you grew up in Philadelphia. I did, in the city, yeah. In the city. Grew up there your entire life, I'm I did. assuming. Born and raised. I went to college there, and then once I uh, I landed a part in an ABC after-school special and got my SAG card, I said I'm going to head west. And Hollywood I, Hollywood came knocking. Hollywood, you answered the call. Hollywood didn't really knock. Uh, didn't even beckon. Didn't they? Didn't even call. I sort of uh, snuck my way in through the back door. No I know what that's intended. like. Yeah. Um, so now, did you always have your eye on uh, acting and film? Was that always something like as a kid? Did you? Was that like a, a constant thought of yours? Like, I want to be a part of Hollywood? Yeah, I, since, I wanna... since I was a kid, I wanted to be working in television or film or something like that. Ended up in radio, so what do I know? 
Well, no, you've done you've done a lot of TV Shoot stuff. Shoot high and maybe you'll hit something if you don't <laughs> if you don't hit your target. But I've done some TV and film, yeah. But my dad worked for Paramount Pictures in Philadelphia. Oh, uh, really? What yeah. was he? What did he do out there? He for was Paramount? in distribution. He, you know, uh, they used to have satellite offices all over the United States, and these guys would be responsible. Guys like my dad would be responsible for booking the films into theaters in that region. So he was responsible for sort of the central part of the East Coast there, which was Pennsylvania wow. and Jersey and Delaware and Maryland and that stuff. So, uh, you know, I would get to go to screenings, and he'd bring me home one-sheet posters and uh, soundtrack albums and press kits and stuff. So I was in love with sort of all that Hollywood bullshit even when I was a kid. And then I started acting when I was in school. and uh, Like school plays, yeah, stuff like exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, just fell in love with it. So I knew from pretty much from early on that's what I was going to end up doing. And we took a trip out here when I was a kid, and uh, my dad got us onto the lot, and we got a sort of a VIP tour at Paramount. Oh, really? Yeah. And oh, okay. so right we, off. I watched people... You know, filming, and I got to meet some celebrities and stuff, and I was just, I was just sold on it. You're just taken with it. Yeah, exactly. Now, uh, what's your, where did your obsession with? I know uh, anyone listens to K Rock, you know that you have, you're obsessed with Batman, specifically Adam West. There is only one when Batman. Did, yeah, in exactly. My mind, yes. Uh, what, well, what was your take on the Dark Knight? Did you enjoy it, but it's not the same as the as the campy kind of '60s version? Yeah, I am I am uh, aware enough to recognize how good those films are and enjoy them for what they are. But there's just it's not very fun for me. The, those movies the, aren't very fun. The Batman kitsch to it. Exactly. Or... The growing up as a kid on that TV series, that was my Batman, and that was kind of the thing that got me into it. So I've never really outgrown that because I am, I am emotionally retarded because I'm basically <laughs> I, I am an adolescent who never quite grew up. So yeah, I still have my Batman collection, and I've got a little room in my house with all. Yeah, my... Yeah, uh, I got. I have this. Uh, I pulled this clip of you describing your obsession with Batman, but I think uh, pretty much sums it up. When I watch my wedding video and I see me pull up in the Batmobile, a chill goes down my spine. And I hope Adam recognizes that he is as important to me as my wife is. Now, when your wife hears that statement, how does she feel? Does she feel, she knows. Oh, does she feel threatened at all by no. uh, having Adam West there? Well, she knows Adam wouldn't have me. You know, if I had a shot with Adam, I, I would probably is that your Is that just, your one celebrity, like... I'm waiting for gay marriage to be legalized in California <laughs> so Adam and I can finally be one. Yes. Now, describe... I know Adam West does uh, Voices on Family Guy. He like, does, yeah. Uh, you've lent your voice to a number of um, characters and stuff on Family Guy as well. Do you, do you guys ever work together in scenes, or do they, they tape the voices separately? I get to see Adam a lot in the green room, kind of while kinda we're... Kind of hanging no out. No pun intended, while we're hanging out waiting to do the show. But they tend to uh, tape everybody separately. Because a lot of the times they'll bring you in to do Family Guy and they'll throw a couple episodes at you, especially my. Kind oh, of stuff. okay. So they they kind of have a couple weeks ahead of time, so you can kind of run through all your characters, right. get them in one shot. And Adam travels a bunch, so usually they'll back up a couple episodes for him when he comes into town. He'll do two or three episodes, just do his lines. So you tend to just go through all of your stuff and then they edit it together after the fact. So we don't get to work together very often, but we work together in the show all the time. I'll be watching the show and I'll say I'll see a character playing opposite Mayor Adam West and it's me doing. It was just I was just in the uh, last week's episode actually, where he was getting his uh, weight guessed at a carnival, and I was the guy guessing his. You were the uh, carnival barker yeah, guessing exactly. the. Yeah. So uh, Adam and I worked together a bunch of times. That clip you played was from a show we did for TV Land a couple of years ago, where I played an obsessed Batman fan. Oddly enough. <laughs> How were you able to pull that role <laughs> uh, off? I don't Ralph? know. Well, you know, I'm a method actor. Exactly. I, you know, I can miser. see that. Now, honestly, how did you? Was was it through the TV Land show? How did you get? I don't know even who you would approach this. How did you get to drive the Batmobile? How did you get it to have it in your wedding video? Uh, a buddy of mine who is one of the great special effects artists in this town named Tom, Wood Tom Woodruff. He and his partner did the special effects for uh, Aliens vs. Predators and just tons and tons and tons of movies. 
he is a geek like me for Batman. Now, luckily, he's got the resources and the cash to be able to build himself a perfect replica of the 1966 Batmobile. Oh, wow. And so we had been friends, <laughs> and when the wedding came around... It's just so funny, resources. <laughs> well, you know, he's, on a he's got a giant, uh, you know... Uh, oh, yeah, that's a fabricating stuff, job. A fabricating joint, yeah, so he was able to put it together. And so we became friends a couple years before my wedding, and when the wedding came around, I talked to my wife, and I said, look, I'd like to do something that's sort of a little signature thing for me. Because weddings really, I don't know if you're a married guy or not. No, 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 I'm single, but I know it's weddings pretty much are a chick's celebration. Yeah, they get to pretty much plan, and they've been thinking about this since they were eight, and they know exactly what the centerpieces are going to look like, and the music <laughs> me, they're going to want Let me guess, to. your wife didn't have the Batmobile planned in her no, eight-year-old head. oddly enough, and I told her, let's get married in costume. You know, I could be <laughs> in the Batman costume, you could be in Batgirl... Or Catwoman, I gave her a choice. Right, you're open. You're we open can, to suggestions. We'll get the uh, preacher to dress up as the Joker or something. The people will love it. <laughs> she wouldn't go for that. So I, I, I started there, and then we eventually got You whittled down. it down to just let me drive the uh, Batmobile said, in the wedding video. Let me be video. chauffeured to our wedding in the Batmobile. So what it was was we had an outdoor ceremony, and uh, Tom has also a replica Adam West costume. So he put that on, and he chauffeured me. I was in the Robin side, and he uh, drove me up to our wedding in the Batmobile. It's badass, man. It was pretty cool. Uh, just quick Phillies update. Uh, you got runners on first and second, top of the eighth, no outs. So. Oh, sweet. Still 5-4? Uh, yeah, they're still up 5-4. Oh, come on. So now Phils. you come out here. Now, did you get the uh, after-school special before you came out here? I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, got that in Philly. Oh, you got that in Philly. You auditioned for that in Philly, yep. and the, the role required you to come out? No, they were shooting locally. Oh, that they were shooting the locally. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you just kind of came in already with a quote-unquote credit. Some, and uh, most importantly, I got my union card, you know, because... You got into SAG got through into the after-school special. Through that. So, uh, you know, if you land in this town and you've already got your union card, it's a lot... Yeah, you're kind of a step ahead. And especially off. if you are if you end up doing background work or whatever, you can at least get SAG rate or something like that. Exactly. So now you come out here, uh, fresh out of college, hit the pavement, and then, uh, you know, what what happens after there? You're just, you're just sending out headshots, looking for work, hitting the street, there, hustling? There really is just one way to do it as far as I know, and that's exactly it. I was looking for a manager or an agent, and I was auditioning, and I was reading the, you know, the, the trades. They've got those auditions for independent films. Backstage, and backstage magazine. Backstage West, yeah. So I was doing all that stuff, and um, I was bartending mostly. That's what I was doing. Now, where did you uh, where do you bartend, or where did you bartend? I bartend all over the great Southern California area. I must have done two dozen bartending gigs before I finally got a regular job on the radio. So uh, I was working in Venice Beach. I worked in Pasadena. I worked in Glendale. I worked in Burbank. I worked in Hollywood, and um, it was uh, a buddy of mine named Adam Carolla, who you probably Oh, yeah, yeah, huge fan of Adam Carolla. He was hanging drywall, and... Uh, All right, sorry, real quick to interrupt. Uh, Ibanez, I'm sorry, Ibanez just hit a three-run homer, so oh, they're up 8-4. Oh, so now you, now, so you, now you take the pressure now off. Now I can relax. Adam Carolla. <laughs> Adam was... Uh, Radio legend. We were doing sketch comedy together sketch now yeah that's 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 my question okay so that's really where it kind of all started yeah how do you decide okay i'm doing now was comedy a focus of yours like not at all okay so now how do you decide when you're out here like oh i'll I'll start doing sketch was it just like hey this is a good way to sharpen my acting skills this is a good way to you know like how do you decide to go into improv from just regular acting you thought like this would be a good exercise it was desperation really i was bartending and not working very much and i was getting tired of uh, paying money to acting coaches, going to these classes and doing scenes in front of eight other starving actors. It didn't seem and very you didn't productive. Really, it didn't me. feel like you were getting anywhere. It didn't feel like you were getting practice. And you saw an opportunity maybe by doing sketch or improv. It's like, oh, hey, at least this is a show. 
you know, I'm working with other kind of creative people. And at least I'll be doing it in front of an audience as opposed to just doing it in front of other people who want you to fail, basically, because they want to be the best person right. in the class. Right. I can only imagine. <laughs> so I, uh, I auditioned for this group, which at the time was Acme Comedy Theater, and, uh, and, I, and I also knew at the time I wasn't focused on it, but I had sort of a background. I did some impressions. I did some voice. I did some character voices and stuff. So I figured that kind of thing would come in handy in that realm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely so improv I, lends itself to that. Right. So I thought I'd give it a shot. And uh, it just kind of blew up in terms of meeting a great group of people who uh, all kinds of kind of stuck together. And Adam was one of those guys. We ended up sharing a, a house together with a third guy. Cool. Now, what was that like? You're rooming uh, with Adam. And who's the other guy? Cortland Cox, Cortland Cox. Cordy Cox, yeah. Who now is a big writer uh, in television. Uh, it was great because we all sort of were there for each other, giving each other opportunities and letting each other know if we heard something come up from other friends or other comedians or other actors. We would uh, kind of, you know, do the best. If, if I did, if I auditioned for something that I thought I wasn't right for, I would give the heads up to these other two guys. And, yeah, and, let, and especially know. before even social networking or online stuff, I would imagine, you know, even back then that even played a stronger role as having, you know, physical networking connections. Right. That's all you had, really, was your friends to lean on. And uh, Adam eventually started working for the Kevin and Bean Show, the this, this show I do on K-Rock Radio here in L.A. And he made friends with Jimmy Kimmel, yeah, who was also working on the show at the time. And so, yeah, so Jimmy, he's doing uh, sports for K-Rock. Right. Adam I met Car Jimmy through Adam. Adam Carolla trained him for a boxing fight. Wow, you really know your oh, yeah, history. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm impressed. I'm a, I'm a, that's a, you know, I... I feel like being... You're like James Lipton. <laughs> yeah. I'm, a, I'm a James Lipton of like a very specific uh, yes. group of comedians. and um, Oh, yeah, just being James Lipton. That was a funny cameo he had in Family Guy uh, the last Sunday yeah. where he just kept yelling improv. Improv. <laughs> improv. That was, uh, that was great, them uh, making fun of improv itself as a whole. So now, uh, okay, so you essentially... Um, Jimmy kind of opens up the door for Adam. Adam gets in there. Right. And then what? how does Adam kind of introduce you to Kevin and Bean? How does that transition? Well, I got to know Jimmy through Adam, and he okay. would come to see the shows at Acme sometimes, and he would see oh, me right. do my characters and voices and stuff. And it was just purely social, but then Jimmy and Adam um, came up with the harebrained idea for the man show. Oh, okay. Which took off and looked like it was going to go into production, and they realized they couldn't do the morning radio show. And it was just too much of a schedule. Show. So they were both going to leave the Kevin and Bean show. And they had been doing the the majority of character voices and writing stuff for Kevin and Bean. And Kevin and Bean panicked a little bit, I think, and said, do you have anybody in mind that you know who could sort of fill in for what the kind of stuff that you guys do until we can find a permanent replacement? So I was supposed to be sort of the temporary stopgap until they could find a real radio professional yeah. to do my job. Yeah, because the, the mindset is... All right, you don't have any experience in radio. You didn't kind of climb up the ranks of the small market radio to, uh, you know, to come out to the pinnacle, the number two market radio market. Right. You don't know what you're doing, but in reality, you're paying your dues another way. You you've done a ton of auditions. You've done a ton of a sketch. I've imagined at that point. Yes. Ton of improv. So you've kind of paid. You've kind of whittled down. You've kind of honed your comedy identity to that point. Right. And, and Adam Carolla and I talk about this all the time. Is that in radio, there's still to this day sort of a bias against people who don't come up in radio. If you're if you didn't work in Wichita on some, you know, five thousand watt AM station doing the farm report then you just don't know shit about radio, and you can't possibly yeah, it's do like, it in L.A. Yeah, you, I, you know, I, lo I look for radio jobs all the time. And, you know, I send air checks. It's like, hey, this is me doing good radio. I can make people laugh. I can interview. You know, I can do man on the street, stuff like that. And it's just like, okay, you don't have uh, three to five years' experience in a market this size. 
they don't want to hear from you. And most people in radio suck. Yeah. If you listen to people in New York, hey, hey, hey you're listening to the ra- the morning show on. Yeah, they're, they're hacks, and uh, you know. Well, that's that. I mean, that's at least that's what I enjoy about stand-up comedy is that at least there's some. You get negative feedback. Like when hacks go up on stage and stuff, and they're not good. I feel like there is negative feedback. Whereas if you're just a, a hack on a local station, there's not as much necessary feedback or negative feedback. Like they're kind of performing in a vacuum right if you will you know and they're they're not exposed enough and they just kind of regurgitating common opinions or just like hey let's just uh you know let's just trounce this same celebrity in the same way not even like taking interesting digs on people and uh yeah i mean it's just they they don't have enough experience in front of a crowd i think that that almost brings another aspect to performing live on the radio is having experience performing live like i'd imagine don't you agree that you know, your years of uh, doing sketch, didn't that really help you going? Absolutely. You ca- you sketch kinda... and improv are the two biggest skills I ever kind of uh, learned when I first got out here because you can use those almost anywhere. If you can learn how to write a little bit for yourself especially, if you can learn to talk off the top of your head in sort of a, a mildly entertaining way, it, you can use that in a lot of different venues. And radio specifically is perfect for that because five days a week, Four and a half hours a day, we're coming up with brand new live content. Yeah, you're day. filling you're filling a large chunk of time, and if you can keep that tempo up, you know, to the point that at least you're keeping it interesting, and then throwing in, you know, good jokes in between. That's right. a that's a unique skill. Right. So um, I started temporarily working for these guys, Kevin and Bean. On so K-Rock. describe describe your first day going into K Rock. Were you were you really nervous, or did you kind of take the attitude of like? Oh, what's this? I gotta wake up at four o'clock in the morning. I don't give a I don't give a crap about this show or just like, oh, who knows? Maybe this will work. Maybe this won't. What was your mindset going into that first day at K Rock? Well, Jimmy Kimmel had to kind of talk me into it. I turned it down twice because I had been bartending for years and I never heard this morning show. I never listened to morning radio. Period. I was so sleeping. you came into morning radio with literally no. I was no, intimidated because I had never heard the show and I right. didn't know if they were any. I had sort of heard of these guys, Mark and Brian. I heard their name being thrown around, but other than that, I didn't know anything about morning radio in Los Angeles. So I didn't know if these guys were any good or, or what, the, what the story was. I just knew they were going to offer me a couple bucks. for Initially, it was per bit. Any bit that I do, any character voice or any bit that I wrote, they would throw me a couple bucks. Then it started to be like $100 a week. If I came in every day, they would give me 100 bucks if I showed up. You know? Yeah. <laughs> All I had to do was show up, basically. <laughs> Surprise, you, you'd be surprised what you know how important that is in morning radio, just showing up. <laughs> yes, I found that out in retrospect. A lot of people just don't, you know. <laughs> Um, so that's how it started, and I just sort of clicked with these guys, and initially I couldn't talk as myself at all, because management, it's radio management, you think people in TV and film are screwed <laughs> up, you have no idea these guys who run these stations, but uh, when they brought me in, they said, well, no one knows who this guy is, so if they hear his voice, they'll be confused, so we can't let him talk, and the guys, Kevin and Bean, would say, but how are people going to learn who the guy is unless he talks, and we sort of introduce him to the audience. So little by little, I started doing uh, voice character work and celebrity impressions and that kind of stuff. And then little by little, I started interjecting my own stuff. And uh, it took a couple years for them to believe I was, uh, you know, actually going to stick around for a while. But now it's been over 10 years, almost 11 years I've been doing the gig. So it, uh, it went from a temporary, supposed to be like a three-month three stopgap gig to turning into, you know, pretty much a career, more or less. Career in radio. Well, yeah. you can't, you know, 
I, and Which is you, not what I expected at all when I moved out here, I'll tell you. Now, I know you do, you've talked about your, doing voices and sketch and, and improv, and uh, we know you do a ton of voices on Family Guy. How did that come about? Did that? I'm guessing that came about through meeting Seth. Did you meet him through the radio show, or was it just a, a you know, your agent submitted you? How did that, how did getting hooked up into the Family Guy family uh, work for you? I lucked out because the casting director on Family Guy, a, a great lady named Linda LaMontagne, was a fan of the morning show. Oh, okay. So she used to listen on her way into work. And this was after Family Guy had been on and then had been canceled by Fox. And then the DVD sales sort of went through the roof and, and Fox decided to bring it back. Um, when they were gearing up for the second round of, of casting and stuff, she said, this guy does a bunch of stuff. I bet we could really use him over here. So I think the first thing, she uh, sent me an email through the station and said, who she was, and I was already blown away because I was such a huge fan of the show. Yeah. She said, we're doing a, a bit... Can you do Dustin Hoffman? Can you do Rain Man? And so I quickly pulled Rain Man off the shelf and studied, studied, studied. <laughs> I said, oh, sure. You know, you never yeah, say no. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, no of course I can. So I was like, yeah, definitely, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-oh. Five minutes to Wapner, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I sent over a sample, and she said, yeah, good enough. And she brought me in, <laughs> and uh, she gave me the, the, the bit, and Seth and I got along, and he had been on the show a couple times. We knew each other just March. Just kind of coincidentally. Right, while he was promoting the show. So that sort of took off, and they, it brought me back for a second thing and a third thing, and I kept getting better and less nervous, and, and, and it grew and grew and grew, and now I do almost something on almost every episode now. That's exciting. Now, you said you were nervous. What, what Describe the kind of pressure it is you know, recording uh, an animated voice. You're in the studio. It's just you, and then is it just you and Seth, and then a couple engineers? Exactly. Seth is on the other side of the glass. He sort of directs you through the thing. And the problem with the Family Guy show like that is, in terms of the roles that I do, usually I am cast in what they call the cutaway gags, you know, where Peter will say, this is as bad as that time when, you know. And yeah, goes, this reminds me of this. And, yeah, and I'm usually in those, those short little uh, cutaway sketches. And they give you just your sort of sides or your lines without any real context in terms of what you're supposed to be talking about. Right. So you don't really know who you're talking to or what you're talking about. You're not working with another actor. You're not reading opposite anyone. You're just kind of reading your stuff. So Seth kind of has to hold your hand until he, until you can give him what he needs. Well, yeah, it's, it sounds like you're essentially creating – if you're doing an impression, that's one thing, but otherwise you're kind of just creating a character right. for a couple lines, and you, the parameters are essentially endless. So now you're in your head. You're like, oh, man, Seth MacFarlane's here. This is a network show. I don't want to mess this up. i got to get this right. But then it's – I imagine the best part – or I mean the, the best quality that you can have is being directable. Like if he says, hey, can you do – like does he does he coach you a lot? Does he say like, oh, am I – because I imagine in his head he has a voice he kind of wants to hear for right. this character. Look, if Seth could, he would do every voice Yeah, exactly. He practically just, does. Yeah. You know, he does almost all the he family. Does, like, yeah, oh, almost the entire family. And a ton of other voices on the show. Um, he is a brilliant performer in his own right, and he does have a very specific idea about what he wants the show to sound like and wants the characters to sound like. And I think you hit on it. Being directable is key. And I think that's the reason that they started bringing me back more is because you go in with a – you read the script. Yeah, you go in with your inclination of like, oh, okay, um, all right, this cutaway gag, this random guy or whatever, he, he would sound like this. Right. And you get there, and it's not at all what they want. <laughs> so you do it the first time, and he goes, no. No. Uh, I think you need to you know, give me some more energy or you know, be louder or be softer or make him southern or make him gruff or make him big. And you just kind of have to that's – the, that's where the improv comes in handy is you just kind of have to jump in there and be able to And deliver. you have to take it a whole other direction with a, maybe a whole other speed or a whole other inflection. Or intensity. I mean, a lot of the times uh, – 
you know, you don't, you're not, you're not sure what's happening in the scene sometimes, and you may be, you know, across the room, and you don't realize that by reading the script. So you have to raise your voice, or you have to be more intense or less intense, or they want it just sort of flat. Now, what's the what's the weirdest direction Seth has given you? Like, has he ever has he ever thrown something at you that you were just like, oh man, what is he what does he mean by this? Where would I take this? No, he's really good. He's very clear and he's very great. He's a concise at communicating what he needs from you. But but sometimes it'll be a scene where like, okay, you're you're a guy and you you got shot or you're scared of this monster. I need you to scream for ten seconds, you know, and you're just bellowing at the top of your lungs and it's like, no, I'd make a little more high pitched at the end because that's when he catches you. So really, it's you get to do some very weird things when you're in there. So you enjoyed you enjoy the voices. Uh, you know, you enjoy lending your you know your voice to different situations, stuff like that. Yeah, I wish I could do more of it. You know, I, I do a lot on Family Guy, and I tend to uh, audition for other stuff, and I haven't really broken in in terms of feature length uh, animated stuff or or yeah, I mean that seems to be commercials. That seems to be where like Buko Bucks, especially these Pixar movies and stuff like that. Although the the Catch Twenty Two there is that they might not necessarily cast as talented a voice actor. You know, they're probably looking to cast someone that maybe you know, adults reckon like a, maybe an, a, a bigger A-list star or something like that that they can... A lot of celebrities have taken the lion's share of the market when it comes to guys who work in voiceovers, sadly. Even in commercials, TV commercials. Guys yeah. who do voiceovers are for spots now. Or, you know, you've got Jeff Bridges and Gene Hackman and yeah. guys like that. I mean, you're not going to be able to compete. And also, there's a very small pool of really good voice talent that gets used over and over and over again. Yeah. So if Billy you're trying West. to break in for yeah, Billy West, Wally Winger, there's a bunch of good guys. Um, if you're trying to break in from the outside, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit longer. But that's why it's nice to have a steady gig. I got the radio thing going. Yeah, for so me, that so. kind of that that pays the bills. It also gives you a lot of exposure, a lot of good connections, I right. imagine. Now you also uh, you were the host of Joe Schmo for Spike TV for two seasons. Yes. Uh, that was a, That was my proudest moment. That was a that was a really good show. It was a really uh, really interesting concept. Um, if for those of you who haven't seen it, it's definitely worth checking out. They got it on DVD. Uh, the the first season the premise was well I mean it's it's a similar premise both years but it changes a little bit like well I mean you can explain it uh, we were the first show to do sort of a hybrid of a reality show and a uh, a comedy at the same time and what the premise was this was on when TV shows the reality show kind of was just blowing up with Survivor and Big Brother and stuff and two guys uh, Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick who, by the way, wrote uh, Zombie Land. Zombie Land, that's out. That which is a big hearing like right really now, good stuff from. Which they didn't call me for. So <laughs> that makes me happy. Um, they <laughs> came up with this idea. Let's let's uh, open up a casting call for people who want to be in a reality show. Find one good desperate guy who wants to be famous and be in a, re- a reality show, and then cast improv actors around that dude and make him think they're also contestants. But the but the whole thing will be sort of planned it out, planned out and scripted. Yeah, and we will be putting on a show basically for this guy while he's living with these people. Right, kind of Truman Show esque. Exactly. But and it'll all be set up and it'll play out, you know, in a specific way. We'll put this guy in these situations. We'll film him and we'll see how he reacts, basically. So I played the smarmy host, the Jeff Probst, if you will, of uh, of the Joe Schmo show, and uh, we had some amazing, talented people like Kristen Wiig from Saturday Night Live. She yeah, was you on see the a lot cast. of uh, a lot of other people, you know, Dave doing Hornsby, a lot. Lance Crawl. There's a bunch of people who came out of that cast. <laughs> And uh, the guy that we got, Matt Kennedy Gould, was just lightning in a bottle. He was <laughs> tremendous. He well, was he, the sweetest that, guy. Yeah, that's what uh, that's what it seems like happened, or what did happen was early on he became real emotional and connected to these improv actors. And you know they even say in the voiceover like, all right, we realized we we're gonna have to change things because 
uh, us goofing on this really sweethearted guy, we're going to just seem like total assholes. So they kind of shifted gears a little bit and kind of just planted it so that he won every challenge? Well, or the, most of them, yeah. It, yeah. Was, it was arranged that he would win most of the challenges. We tried to keep it in as good spirits as possible <laughs> because we didn't know going into it that apparently he had a bit of a depression <laughs> issue. <laughs> Oh my that God. was. You're dancing a little closer, yeah. And he there. liked to smoke a lot of pot, and uh, he couldn't really get any in the house, so he was withdrawing from weed uh, a little bit. It was a perfect storm, sort of psychosis. So we were afraid of pushing this guy over the edge. So we tried to make things as pleasant for him as possible. He's not having his THC. He's a little, right. little emotional. So we tried to make things as uh, as agreeable as possible, and also lighten up on some of the negative stuff, you know. But we everyone had a, like a, a stereotypical role they had to play. We had a guy who was sort of like Puck from the real world, if you remember that cat, yeah, 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 the asshole. And we had uh, the gay guy, and we had the, the totally they they even name him. Uh, it was like the gotta be gay guy. That was in season two. Oh, yeah, that's season, season two. two yeah, that's we right. had the heterosexual guy who has to be gay. He just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> yeah. And then season two, we did a spoof sort of on the all the dating reality shows. So uh, the first one was sort of like a Big Brother Survivor hybrid. Uh, the second season, we got two people. We got a guy and a girl and brought them in to do sort of a bachelor-bachelorette thing where they had to compete. Yeah, you were going to trick two people for right. season two. Kind of up the ante. ante. Right. So we uh, were uh, competing, had two people competing for the hearts of this guy and this girl, along with other people. And again, they were all very talented improv actors, and they were all living together in this house. And it was really quite an experience. Now, in, in, this, in the season two thing, uh, they kind of have a little twist there where they had brought in it. It sounded like they brought a girl in for uh, to do a certain role or something, and then she was she was telling a story, and then uh, I guess the camera guy ran out of batteries, and then she stopped telling the story. Yeah. And then we had a lot of screw ups in the second and, season. And then and then she tried to restart it, and then that girl, who was the first girl that they were trying to trick, she, she caught on. Yeah, she kind of caught on and was like, "This is really, uh, this is really seems weird. Like, is this? Are you guys? Are you guys? You know, pulling my strings? What's going on here?" And then uh, they ended up pulling her out or kind of getting her in on the action. We made her one of the improv actors as a character and brought someone else in to, to fool, yeah. Because we always knew if someone knew what was going on, then the jig would be up, the show would be over. So we had to find a way to keep it going and, and to work her into the storyline. Because the second season, we tried to make it a little more wacky, too, and I think it became less believable. And so it was easier to kind of figure out that something was going on because this was a little bit too weird. For yeah, the season, we played it pretty close to, to the vest. But we were competing at the time. We were the first people to ever do that. And then there came um, my big obnoxious fiance, and there was then some other shows started doing the same kind of punk, yeah, the punk Fox, slash reality um, show. Millionaire, right? So wants we, to marry millionaire. Right. So we had to sort of up the ante, and I think it got a little out of hand on the second season. But I think it really it turned out well too, because I got to play with a giant falcon who would come down and eat meat out of my hands. Yeah. So that was fun. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of great moments on it. Um, it's all about the perks. That's yeah. right. It's all about playing with a falcon. <laughs> you gonna you gonna use a falcon? All right, sure. All right. I'll be there. All right. <laughs> Uh, there was a uh, there was a falcon who's a who's um I forget I think it's the Atlanta or no I'm sorry it's a hawk the Atlanta Hawks the basketball team and there's a clip on YouTube I actually saw the game where they uh, they try to call the hawk back to the glove and the hawk has none of it and it's just like circling around in the stadium refusing to land so they had to stop the game actually we called ours a falcon but it was a hawk too I remember hawk was cast in the role of the falcon <laughs> see that that wasn't even real and when I was working with him I was playing a British host this time around they had to be dying yeah they changed a little bit accent. just in case they saw it right the they didn't show. want someone who may have seen the first show to recognize it was the Joe Schmo show. But uh, we would do this thing called the Falcon Twist, where they would tie a note to the Falcon or the Hawk's leg. He would fly down and land on my arm, and then I would take the note off and read it. And it was meant there was some switch up in the game. 
Well, this hawk was, uh, you can see, see it on the DVD, they've got the extras. He was suicidal, I think, because he would fly <laughs> past me sometimes. He'd go right past my arm and Him and the guy from season one. <laughs> into a plate glass window and just bang, like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. He would slide down and limp around. I think that he was trying to kill himself. So we had a lot of, uh, lot of hard, you don't work with animals. A lot, a lot of dark moments that, right? there. Yeah, it was very difficult. So now you, d- you do the radio, you've done the voices for animation, you've done uh, kind of hosting stuff as a character. Right. What is the... What is like your dream goal, or what 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 do you see in the future for yourself? I just like it all, you know. I just like to work. I've been lucky enough to do. I did a, a feature film with Al Pacino and Matthew McConaughey called Two for the Money. I was yeah, I saw to, that. I was able to work for a month up in Vancouver shooting a movie, which was my first sort of feature film, which was amazing. I've done a bunch of television. I think though, just for lifestyle reasons and for optimum experience. Uh, a sitcom probably would be an ideal situation for me because you go to work at reasonable hour. You don't have to get up at 3.30 in the morning like you do for morning radio. You hang around yeah, with funny Yeah, sitcom people. really seems to be the, the cush gig. I mean, as you far as... You read your scripts, you go home, you shoot one day a week in front of a live audience. It just seems like that's just the way to go. That's the way. Have you seen, uh, speaking of sitcoms, this is possibly the worst sitcom I've ever seen in my life. Have you seen uh, Brothers? Uh, sitcom starring Michael Strahan? I have watched an episode of Brothers. <laughs> I haven't gone back for a second Oh, yet. my God. It is There's uh, a lot of bad tel- comedy on television. Now, Inexplicably. I don't know who looks at this stuff and says, yes, put that on television. It Michael Strahan, he's a good personality on the Fox pregame. Yes. You know, likable guy. If I was... If I was looking for someone to sell my product, I would go to him. But what makes you think you can just drop him in a sitcom as the lead and just have him, you know, have him just, oh, yeah, he's he's likable. It's mind-numbing sometimes, the choices they make. The girl from Top Chef who hosts that show, Padma, whatever her last name is, yeah, hot broad, uh, seems to be able to read a cue card. She does a reasonable job on that show. She's got her own sitcom now where she's playing a sexy chef who has a wacky next-door neighbor, I'm sure. Now, do you think the sitcoms are, are going to be phased out? It seems like, you know, as the networks get less and less viewers, the, the budget to kind of to produce a, uh, a network sitcom like that is kind of changing. Or, you know, with digital stuff, it seems like things are changing. Do you think there is going to still be a market for sitcoms, or do you think they're going to kind of change the more single-camera stuff? I think there's a market for good ones. Yeah. You know, and single camera costs more to shoot than than the traditional three camera setup in front of a live audience. So I think, you know, if you make shitty comedies, people will stop watching. Yeah. But uh, Modern Family on ABC, I'm watching now. That's a single camera show, but I think it's really well done and and it's very well written. And that's the key is the is the writing when it comes to comedy. It's just so difficult to to find good writers or either that. I shouldn't say that because I know a lot of good writers, but it's it's hard to find people who were hire good writers to do television. Yeah, now what do you think that is? Do you think it's just these people uh, get get into power and are just like, oh, I gotta I gotta hire my friends, or I gotta kind of hire people who are hot, and then they they just what do you think? Where's the quality con- quality control gone in comedy specifically sitcoms? I wish I knew the answer to that. I don't know, Sean. I mean, um, I think a lot of people who get into power in television specifically don't always have a background in performance that's or that's what's writing. amazing is like you hear like oh, a lot of lawyers and accountants and he's the head of a comedy over at uh, warner brothers or something like that and you're thinking like oh okay he must have had some experience in comedy but the truth is if you're if you're an artist or if you have you know if you're sharp comedically then most likely you're going to be a performer you know it seems like 
or or around performers, you know, or yeah. or a writer yourself maybe. I think the best producers I've met are guys who are writers who have come up through the ranks, you know, knowing how to craft a story, knowing how to write dialogue. It seems like they've got their finger on the pulse of what makes a project work or not. Unless you have some sort of background but these people don't even seem to have a sense of humor. Like, they don't even appreciate <laughs> comedy. I can't imagine. They're, they're not obviously not funny people, or else they would know that this crap they're putting on isn't working for anybody. I'm, brothers, I, I, I hate to get back to, well, no, I really hate Brothers, partially because Michael Strahan's a giant, but... You brother, live with a giant fan. <laughs> yeah, Screw I you. I don't want to hear from you about giants. <laughs> you smother your roommate with a pillow tonight. That's your mission when you go home. I may, I may have to end his life All at right. some point. Although, after the Eagles lost, I did... Uh, the one year I did throw a deck chair around, so I feel like I rattled his cage there. Unless you hit him with it, I don't want to hear your stories. <laughs> Literally, they had a punchline where Michael Strahan, uh, he, he flexed his pec muscles. Like, that was the punchline. And then they called back to that punchline later in the oh, episode. Sweet it's like, I just don't understand what decade they would even... It, it's uh, it's it's mind-numbing that stuff like that comes out. Now, what are you what are you excited to see? As I know you do uh, film reviews on, uh, on Kevin and Beaton's show. What kind of films are you looking forward to seeing or uh, television projects? What? Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Where the Wild Things Are, this new Spike Jones movie. You're based, optimistic about based that? Based on the kids' book, yeah. I think he's really a very imaginative filmmaker, and I think it's going to be uh, interesting to watch. Uh, I'm sort of a comic book geek, so I'm already looking forward to Iron Man 2 and all the, uh, the comic book movies that are coming out. TV-wise, I... I I have to watch so much television already because we talk about TV and, and current events. You kind of have to get sucked into the pop culture cycle. We talk about so much on the on the radio show that I have to be kind of selective about what I choose to watch for my own entertainment because I just don't have time. You get kind of burned out or you've seen a lot of other crap. But this fall, I tell you, uh, Flash Forward so far is keeping me engrossed. I really think it's a good show. Um, a, the Good Wife with Juliana Margulies I think is a good drama. I tend to watch a lot more dramas now than than I used to, and less comedy. I don't know what's good, whether comedy's just well, so, I think, so yeah, bad now and dramas yeah, are or, better. And then also, if you do it, you know, if you're doing it on the radio for four hours a day, it, it helps maybe charge your batteries to yes. get a kind of break from it from watching. Although there were some people who would argue whether we actually do it on the radio <laughs> or not four hours a day. Um, so now uh, you're talking about pop culture stuff, What you know, current events. Obviously, the big thing going on now is the whole Letterman scandal. What what has your take been on that since uh, you found out about Letterman and the whole... His whole, uh, his whole escapades. That's another thing people. I was shocked by people saying, "Well, I don't like him anymore, and he is—he's not living up to my standards." Like, what kind of standards do you have for comedians? <laughs> Where are these moral clauses? Right. You know, Richard Pryor, do, you know, freebasing, running down the street after catching himself on fire. No, it's not. You know, a way to, to model your life after. But right. he's still a it's funny not, dude. It's not a great business decision. Right. Um, I don't think. I don't think. I. I don't think of any less of. Letterman for it because I never really thought that much of Letterman to begin with. I like him. I'm a fan. I watch his show. I think it's funny. But beyond that, I don't have any personal feelings about the guy. I feel bad for his wife. I think what he did was inappropriate, but I do think the way he handled it was sheer genius. Yeah, I mean, he comes out, he addresses it, and that audience there, they, I mean, they love him to begin with, so much so that it took him a while. He, you know, we played some clips on the last show, but even like, you know, he's like, I did creepy things, and then everyone's just busting out laughing. Because, A, I, I mean, it is really funny, but then he's just like, why is that funny? You know, like, they're just so – I think I think what it is is people who uh, maybe aren't in show business or haven't met celebrities and stuff like that, they they kind of, you know, merge uh, the performer and who they are and then, you know, kind of generate this idea of who they are as a person and kind of get attached to that. And maybe that's where some of the disconnect comes. But, yeah, yeah I mean, as far as sleeping around, I mean, all those uh, women were consensual and, you know, hey – 
do what you want to do. I mean, it's surprising, I think, because Letterman portrays this kind of, you know, on the stiff, uh, oh, no, you know, conservative personality. So I think it was surprising in that sense. Yeah, he doesn't come off as a really sexy guy. Yeah, exactly. My wife was like, ooh, they slept with him? She, <laughs> yeah. she doesn't find him the least bit attractive. I don't think most women do. But maybe it's power or something, the women who work for him. Oh, I'm know. sure. I mean, And he is funny. I'm sure he's charming, you know, in real life. And people well, I actually applied for a Letterman internship. I got to the interview process, didn't get it. Oh, really? So that was, yeah, that was years ago. I'm, I'm sure it was unrelated to my sexiness, but it was... <laughs> it, you had slept with him, you would yeah. have a job. Hey, I wore a three-piece suit, Letterman. That's all, that's the best I can do. I'm, I have a feeling it's not related. You should have worn a two-piece bathing suit. <laughs> that's what you should have worn. Um... But yeah, I mean, I don't know, I don't know what people are looking for from him. Yeah, no, he, he apologized. It's uh, I, I, maybe I'm cynical, but I don't look for sort of strong moral behavior in anybody in the public in public life anymore. I don't expect it from politicians. I don't expect it from celebrities or comedians or football stars. I don't expect anyone to sort of live a a, a moral, high quality life. I just so I'm never disappointed because I don't I don't really don't expect it from anybody. Now you, you know do it, with the, this information age with the internet and and it's, all the it's internet. so pulled back. There, I'm sure all this stuff was going on years ago. God knows what people were up to in like the 50s and right. 60s. I think, I, mean, I think Johnny Carson used to have live human sacrifices back then. Yeah, who knows? And but they covered it up. You people are about no it. one's gonna. God knows what he did to you know. Uh, his staff or whatever, but no one, no one talks about it, or even the stuff that has come out. You know, who knows what didn't come out? Right. But it's just that you know we're living in the age of just constant information. So, in the uh, TMZ world, you really can't hide anything anymore. So I'm never sh- sh- shocked or surprised when I hear anybody doing anything. I just I don't expect anything different. Yeah. I can't wait to hear what the, what you do. I <laughs> what I do? Find out what's going with I don't you know. And I Logan here. <laughs> when the lights go down. I think I need I need some sort of scandal to generate some uh, <laughs> some, heat. some intense. Yeah, that seems well, to be Leonard's what draws numbers you did in. rise after that. Oh you know? heck yeah! People are tuning in. They're like, is he going to reveal something creepy? I want to know more about creepy behavior. It's pretty wild. Creepy people... is just such a great adjective to draw people in. Now, um, your buddy uh, Jimmy Kimmel. It also came out now that he was he's dating his head writer now. Do you think that's gonna do you think that's going to turn into anything? or? I hope it does, for his sake. I yeah, mean, exactly. Get him a little it. boost in the ratings. <laughs> I hope uh, people do start tuning in, thinking something creepy is going on. Although I know Jimmy well enough to know that you know he's the least creepy guy on the planet. Yeah, he seems like a just a, the total opposite, just a super relationship guy. This happened to be his next relationship. You know, and look, w- the guy works on his show literally 15, 17 hours a day. Who right. else are you going to hang with? Who are you going to meet if not someone Right, as, a, as a huge fan of Jimmy Kimmel, I like that he's not going out... You know, dating other women. He should be dating her in office and working more on the show. I That's want right. that. As a fan, I appreciate that commitment to quality. Because, you know, even at, at late at night after they have sex, they're still talking about the show. They're writing yeah, jokes, he's still, right? he's still going over the monologue. It's well, bonus time is what it is for fans of the show. Well, Ralph, uh, thank you very much for coming into the program. Is it over a, already? Yeah, it's uh, it's time to wrap it up. Wow. I had a great time. Now, we're obviously uh, Kevin and Bean every morning. Yeah. Uh, here on uh, Southern California, 106.7. And, oh, we're uh, also syndicated Syndicated. Now throughout so the, throughout what's the, the best way to get a hold of you or check um, out your stuff? Uh, you can go to kevinandbean.com or kroq.com, and uh, you can see what I'm up to there. I don't have my own web. I have my own website, but it's not up and running yet because I still want to wait to do something worthy of putting a website together. But uh, when I do, I'll, I'll post that on the on the radio show's website as well. But you can always get a hold of me at uh, ralphkrock.com through the through the website and uh, drop a line. All right, cool. Thanks. And uh, Logan, you want to take us out in a haiku? Let's do it. All right. <laughs> Thank you.
whatever should you dread. Comedy is not yet dead. Pennsylvania bread. <laughs> Sweet. All right. Thank you, Logan. Thank you, everyone, for checking out the show and listening uh, every Thursday, 8 o'clock, LA Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to The Green Room. Don't forget to check out ShantiGreen.com. And make sure you check out LegalZoom.com for all of your self-help legal needs. Referral code GREEN for The Green Room discount. You should have seen she was really nice.